0: Coming to you from the last video store, in the universe, it's Binge Movies 150. I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are most worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. In this episode, we rank the films of John Woo. guest today comes highly recommended from very many people on film twitter which could go either way because film twitter sometimes is um accessible uh yeah (laughs) cesspool. so and that kind of you kind of get to my point here you get to my point uh my dear guest you are carlo from the movie loot yes correct yes i am now if it's movie loot are you stealing from these movies um, I uh,
1: the, the the premise of the show is that I'm sharing that loot with everybody. Um, I'm,
0: I'm yeah, okay. So you're, but you're, but how do you come in possession of the loot?
1: Well, that might lead me to to what is the premise of the show, and uh, the I run two types of episodes. One of them, I start every month with a set of criteria of what I what I'm going to watch um let's Uh say i I say this month i'm going to watch a film from akira kurosawa or i'm going to watch a film from the 1920s or a film with the word time in its title um Mm -hmm. and that's my loot that's what i'm what i seek or what i'm trying to find out that month and then i'm sharing that loot with everybody when i'm talking about the films that i'm that i'm watching
0: i understand yeah but it seems to me you're robbing these movies yes i am and if we're talking about john woo and you're you're robbing things. Then that means you're the the hitman yes. slash bad guy with a heart of gold. And that means I'm the cop on the edge. I'm the guy that's about to lose control trying to bring you down. We're mirror images. We are mirror images of each other, but in the end we'll end up being brothers. Definitely. We're going gonna- literally or metaphorically.
1: We're going to be loyal to each other and we're going to be jumping to the side with DVDs
0: on our hands, um, avoiding, <laughs> Yes. Well, we'll be jumping to the side whilst uh actually, you know, it it would probably be two smartphones oh. and 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 giving five stars on Letterbox at the same time whilst jumping <laughs> through the air. That that's a good point, yeah. Cuz if we're going to be brothers, we got to be film bros. If we're going to be bros, we got to be film bros. And film bros love Letterbox. We love Letterbox. Exactly. <laughs> there we are. You 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 get it. You get it. You get it. Yeah, definitely. Um there is a good chance though, that you might have to kill me by the end of this episode. <laughs> I'm going to be so mortally wounded that the only thing I can do for you to go on to have the life that you've always deserved, <laughs> I have to die. At least we're going to see a, a,
1: a lot of doves flying beside you. So uh, you're going to But maybe good.
0: not as many as you would think. Here's the thing, Carlo. I've been spiritually dead for many years. So <laughs> you're just you're really just finishing your job. <laughs> you're, you're a shell of your former self. Fire! Oh, I'm a shell of three former selves ago. I've had so many different versions of me, I don't even know who I am anymore. What year is this? Am I from the past? Am I from the present? Am I from the future? Did I record this episode before season six, or is this season seven, or did I do this all the way back when Pat was still alive? I don't know, Carlo. I'm lost. I'm a man lost in time. Time no longer exists. I'm, uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I don't know. Yeah. Listen, when you are somebody who lives at the nexus of the multiverse, which is Akron, Ohio, in particular, in this little tiny video store where I spend most of my time, uh, you know, (laughs) everything's folding in and out and upon itself in ways you can barely understand. And so there's a good chance I don't even exist anymore. And I can't quite wrap my mind around it. Um, You can't quite, quite wrap your mind around it. But together, we're going to try to wrap our mind around John Woo. How's that sound? Uh, definitely. I, I'm anxious to, to get into this. Now, before we get to John Wu, let me ask you one question. Metaphysical, uh, are you prepared? Are you ready?
1: Um, I might have to uh, kneel on this chair for a minute to get ready. But, <laughs> but yeah, after that, I'm going to be ready.
0: Okay. It's more of a hypothetical. But Carlo, what if God was one of us? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, what if God's just a stranger on a bus? Just, uh, just a slob, like one of us. A slob? Yeah. There's two slobs on this podcast right now. You and, and I don't mean to offend you, but we're just a couple of slobs, as all human beings are, and God's just another slob. Yeah, I, I was talking about my the,
1: the mess I have in my room, so yeah, I, I'm a slob, I know.
0: <laughs> I have it on good authority, God doesn't like to fold his laundry. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I like that. Your laundry is full. From what I can see, it's hung. It's it's hung up on, um, you know, it's beautifully organized. I think you've got one leg up on God. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We've, co- we've covered it all. We've covered all the things likely to offend people at the front. Uh, you're likely to offend people, I'm guessing, by how you're going to rate these John Woo movies. I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything about your opinion. Until we dive into it, let's start with 1986's A Better Tomorrow, which currently has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Just one last job for money. Lots of money. Money to burn. One brother's a cop with a lot of promise for a successful career. The other brother, a lieutenant in a mob, He's also looking forward to a successful career. But they have one thing in common, and they're on a
1: collision course with each other.
0: And how can either one survive to live a better tomorrow? Better Tomorrow, which literally translates to True Colors of a Hero, was directed by John Wu. It was written by John Wu, but partially inspired by the story of a discharged prisoner from 1967. Wu had some co writers on this. Folks from Asia, you must forgive me. I'm doing my best here. Chan Hing Kai and Lueng Sukwa. Uh, It was released August 2nd, 1986 on a budget of not available. It made $34.7 million in Hong Kong and $4.8 million in the U.S. It was the first successful film after a 20-year career. John Woo had working mostly in comedies and some dramas. Um, This was the first uh, blockbuster, if that's what you want to call it, first big hit film that he had in Hong Kong. And, And I think when we think about Woo, most of us don't think about him as having a really already already an entire career outside of what he is most famous for, at least stateside. And that is his, his uh, Hong Kong action films. And we're sort of reinventing the action movie. We'll get we'll get into that. But for his first uh, big hit film here, uh, my one sentence plot synopsis is a reform triad gangster gets caught between his kid brother and his blood brother. Well, trying to stay out of trouble. Two brothers
1: on different sides of the law join forces with a disgraced gang member to take down the triad bus that betrayed them years ago.
0: Yeah, so um, the, our synopsis is going to get repeated kind of often because he's got a theme that he likes to put into every movie, especially from the era that we're talking about. Oh, yeah. The most outstanding thing about this movie is that it essentially reinvented action cinema in Hong Kong. Hong Kong at that time had its own sort of standard for what action cinema was. And at the time, Hong Kong action uh, really revolved around either classical kung fu or um, physical comedy uh, that was mixed with action. And they didn't have much of a palate or much of a taste for gunplay in particular. And that's sort of a more which totally makes sense. And it's much more of a uh, Western in particular, North American, especially USA sort of sensibility because it's woven into the the myth of westward, westward expansion, the myth of the cowboy and all this sort of stuff. And so guns have been a part of the American myth that we've told ourselves forever and ever and ever. So we inherently as Westerners tend to think that they're cooler than places where they've been less available and less part of the culture. And, and places where the culture is much longer and they have their own myths that form uh, how they think about themselves in the world. So for him to do this, to not just come out and go, okay, I've been making movies for 20 years and some of have been so-so ah, received, but now I'm going to make a movie and I'm going to make, essentially, it, it, it perfect a genre and invent a genre yes. at the same time yep. and perfect the, what's known as the heroic bloodshed genre by but taking it in from the world of kung fu to the world of gunplay, and in, essentially inventing with his stunt coordinators gun kata or gun fu. Yeah, it wasn't John would, Wick. And it, right, it wasn't John Wick. It it wasn't the folks of the, uh, you know the first <laughs> the, the first uh, stunt crew in the first Matrix. It wasn't uh, Kurt Wimmer. Uh, it wasn't you know the, the guy from Equilibrium. I think it was Kurt Wimmer. Uh, It was John Woo. It did not exist before him. He is the granddaddy or the father of Gun Fu. And it's just like, like if you just put a stop right there and we never talked about this plot, we never said anything else and just said a director of 20 years took something that was not popular or well-received in his country of origin and made a blockbuster film out of it and then by so so doing so um, popularized gun action in a country that's anti-gun and then also completely reinvented action cinema for the rest of time and space. You could just put a stop to this episode and say, well, then obviously a better tomorrow is the one that should be preserved for all time because the guy reinvented the language of action yeah, cinema. And became,
1: a, that's enough. became an icon uh, of himself because nobody
0: yes. talks about his previous films.
1: Everybody, it, this no. is like where he started, quote unquote, where he started. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's very unique in that sense.
0: Oh, and if we, you know, you want to add a little bit of extra salt and pepper to this. Um, this is also the breakout film for a very young actor by the name of Chow yun fat Yeah, definitely. He was he was doing soap operas, I think, before before. Yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. So he makes a movie star in Chow Yun fat. who has gone and have a legendary career. Yeah. Both sides of the pond, uh, makes himself an icon, creates a subgenre of the action world and reinvents Hong Kong action cinema, yeah. uh, using things that were not popular before. <laughs> like that ought to be enough, but here's the thing. He's going to top himself again and again and again and again, at least through most of the string of films that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, He's obsessed. We we kind of talked about this and I it's very noticeable and and I I want to know what you think about this cuz you mentioned the word soap opera. <laughs> he, he is obsessed with I would say melodrama. Yeah, his action definitely. movies, especially his Hong Kong action films are melodramas, yeah. right? Does that work for you, or are you like I'm watching a soap opera? It, it, it depends. In some of the, and,
1: and we're gonna get on it as we talk about the, the, these five films. In some of them, it works better than in others. And some of them, it doesn't work that well. Um, but but you can notice that. And I've I have read or heard that that was sort of a a trend or a staple in hong kong cinema that that, that yeah. type of melodrama with with music as a score and that kind of thing that was so that kind of um softened the blow for me in some in some cases because okay if this is how it's done then then i'm, I'm gonna accept it as it is but again in in some cases it works better than you know than in others
0: Well, so, yeah. So when you, you fire up a better tomorrow, right. Which is, you know, the, the, the first of all of these that you uh, immediately I had to, okay, I've got to flip out of my context. I've got to flip out of I'm living in 2023 where everybody for 30, 40 years now has been imitating this man and innovating on what he innovated. Right. So in, in a sense, a lot of other directors have come along and kind of, Perfected and, and they've taken off the rough edges of something he was inventing in real time. And so I have to, you know, flip off and go, okay, okay, John Wick 4 <laughs> had these amazing stair, this amazing staircase sequence that's perfectly executed and it's totally smooth. But I got to take my, that off because um, John Wu was on a micro budget, has a giant ass film camera. Yeah. Not a little digital camera with an SD card where they can just edit in real time. He's got a giant honking film camera and no one has ever done anything like what he's doing before. That's not an exaggeration. No filmmaker in the history of film is doing what this guy's doing and he's doing it outside the Hollywood system uh, in a foreign market, in a foreign culture. Making a movie that, like you, like you said, has to play in that foreign culture Which is his indigenous culture, and so yeah, you're getting melodrama, which is part of that heroic bloodshed film genre that was so popular in Hong Kong. All the emotional stakes are through the roof, and all the relationships are twisted and interconnected, and it's all about riding bicycles and crying and growing up together (laughs) and having to kill each other and you know and dying and 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 the thing is, like we we I really want to get to this by the by the end of this episode but it, it's hard not to jump ahead a little bit for me because this whole experience for me disavowed me of the stereotypes I myself had. And I myself have trafficked in about John Wu. that he's nothing more than slow-mo and doves Yeah. because when he got to America and the American Hollywood system got its hands on him and we're going to get there yeah. by the end. Yeah. All of that was just reduced because he had Hollywood screenwriters. He's trying to adapt a Hong Kong style that is rooted in his faith, in uh, uh, Chinese philosophy, Chinese cultural experience. It's an expression of his culture. I guess it's the bottom line. And yet even the slow-mo, which can be a little much. Yeah, And he even he admits on some of these movies, ah, like I, the style went a little far. But it's all in service of the genres that he's working in, which are genres we don't have here. Yeah. So when you try to apply Hong Kong sensibilities to American screenwriting, it just gets reduced down to nothing but sizzle, nothing but style. It's just nothing but doves yeah. and fire and whatever. We're not even recognizing the fact that, well, you know, those doves are symbolic of... The emotional state of the character and they represent purity, and that ties in with his Christian beliefs. That's why nah, there's churches matter. and candles. Here, here's those. We, right. We just, yeah, we yeah. just pave over that. And did you have a similar experience? Because I know that some of these were first watches for you as well as for me. All of them. Did it kind of rewrite woo in your brain, starting here with a better tomorrow? Um, no, because, yeah, in a sense. And,
1: you know, I'm going to back up a bit uh, and I want to ask sure. you because I want to ask you a question. Uh, why me? Why did you chose this topic for me?
0: Uh, well, i want to have you on the show for a long time. And uh, I wanted you to talk about something that you never talked about okay. before.
1: Uh, because you said that that you were <laughs> <laughs>
0: you, that I came highly
1: recommended and flattered. Uh, but yeah. it, it's interesting. Well, here's the
0: thing. When you're doing movie loots and you've covered every conceivable movie on the face of the earth. Yeah. There's a lot of territory you've already covered on your own show. And so I thought it would be interesting if we took two people who know who John Woo is and have seen some of his movies, but aren't as deeply familiar and said, okay, let's throw two, you know, let's go to the deep cuts and let's throw people who are having the same first exposure to some of these earlier cuts at the same time and see what we come up with, see what our uh, experiences are. So,
1: uh, because I, i I thought it's really, really interesting because um, and I think I told you this when you approached me. My experience with Wu uh, was limited to most, not all, most of his American films. I mean, not even all of them. I had seen uh, Broken Arrow, I had seen Face Off, and I had seen mm-hmm. Mission Impossible Two. That's all I, all I had seen from him. Uh, and, and one curious thing, I had seen all of those in theaters um, when they when they came out. Um, so uh, I, I maybe I should probably apologize in advance to Wu fans and purists uh, because uh, I'm a Wu newbie, a Wubi um, and I'm going to talk about his films but I also think, so maybe maybe people are going to ask, why is Jason bringing this uh, Wubi here to talk about Wu films um, <laughs> but I think people might appreciate really a fresher, more unbiased perspective and I hope to to bring that to, to the discussion uh, because I'm gonna I might incur I told you that I might incur in the wrath of wolf fans with with some <laughs> of my ratings some, some of my rankings um, but but considering that my experience was limited to those three films two of which I didn't like that much um, it, it, it was really interesting to see similar themes because there are a lot of similar themes and parallelisms and I hope we can get to that as, as we go on um, oh yeah but he's he's not shy to try different things within those uh, those limits and we can see that as we talk about the films that, that we're going to discuss um, and as similar as some of these films are I see him exploring different layers within those similar relationships and, and I see him 100 um, percent. Exploring different things and different themes uh, within those "quote unquote" similar films, so I I really appreciated that. And I can say that out of those three American films that I had seen, I think, I think not. Definitely, the five that I that I saw are definitely better than two of those that that I saw. (laughs) And I think most people can probably guess which one is the one that gets
0: that that stays at the top. Sure. Um, well, I, we've I've thrown around a lot of terminology really fast that people may not be familiar with, and this movie people may not be familiar with. So, for people who are new to a better tomorrow, in some of these terms, uh, let's start here. Heroic bloodshed films are. This is a gross generalization, but they're essentially films that are about the underworld, in particular, like criminals and killers who are often seen sympathetically. They they typically tend to be the main characters. Yeah if not the outright protagonists. Um, and it really tries to define them as real people, not just like heavies and villains and, in you know, triad movies or mobster movies or whatever. Um, and there tends to be over the top ballitic translation of action. Historically it was Kung Fu, um, but it, but it, it morphed into gunplay And so you end up with these over the top, balletic, um, super stylized, melodramatic expressions of violence and murder. And it portrays violence and murder, in particular, like self-sacrificing death uh, in a very um, stylized, artistic sort of way. And I think what's really interesting about Wu, in this film in particular, and this is this, this sets the pattern. And I think it almost gets the balance right a little bit more than some of the other movies. But what he's doing in A Better Tomorrow is, yeah, we're getting that brother by blood versus brother, brother by bond tropes because you have a criminal who's an underling for the, the Chinese triad um, who's working in counterfeiting between Hong Kong and mainland China and people in the West, Americans. And... He's he's a high ranking like mob guy, basically. And he has another younger mob guy who would be Chow Yun-fat, who is like a brother to him, like a younger brother to him. Yeah. He's kind of raised him up. He saved his life. He's, they have this very strong bond and he um, sees him as a younger brother in his crime world. The twist of this is he has a younger brother yeah. who also looks up and admires him. And loves him and idealizes him. But his younger brother is in the police academy yeah. and doesn't know that he's a criminal. So the primary thrust of this movie is not really the action sequences. The primary thrust of the movie is this thesis, which is if, a, if and it's, a, it's just a line in the movie, it's perfect. It distills the entire thesis down to a bad guy for a day will never be a good guy again. That's what one of the corrupt cops tells our main character. Because eventually, he essentially um, um, gets sold out by the criminal organization, and to save the life of another younger gangster, our main character turns himself in and surrenders to the police. And he goes to prison, and then when he gets out of prison, uh, he decides he's going to go straight and narrow, right? Yeah. Like he's not going to do – he doesn't want any more crime. He's going to live a life essentially in poverty. He's going to go back to Hong Kong and live – just an ordinary life and, and keep him keep himself out of trouble and years have gone by yeah. I think it's like three 12 years three I'm sorry three yeah so by this point his brother's career he's graduated the academy but yeah. everybody knows that his older brother was a uh, kind of a major player in the counterfeiting part of the triad so he's not really advancing his career beyond just graduating and because they always bring up his brother and his name and well, your brother was a criminal and you didn't even know it. And what kind of cop does that make you? How are you going to be a detective? Yeah. Almost like, like you know, he's getting yelled at by his yeah. sergeants or whatever, his captains. And then Chao Yun-Fat has, because he's lost his big brother in the organization, has become like the lowest rung in the triad where he, and he was injured. He was shot yeah. during um, uh, one of their, you know, during this whole melee that happened. Yeah. And so now he's, like, kind of – he has a limp. He's, like, partially paralyzed. He's debilitated. And he's washing it turns windows. out the guy that – Yeah, he's washing – he's almost homeless, right? Yeah, they, they got him, so, like, the,
1: the window washer of the triad.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely humiliating yeah. him. And the youngest guy who joined them on this trip to move some weapons and drugs and money and all this sort of stuff – um, who was assigned to them the youngest, youngest guy, the weakest guy in the organization turns out he was a mover and a shaker and a ladder climber and he screwed them all over. And, and, uh, and he's the one that, you know, instigated this botched assassination attempt. And now he's the boss of the crime organization by the time this guy gets out of prison and he has completely debased Chow Yun fat, completely treated him like shit. So the guy, you know, our main character sacrifices his freedom to save the life of this young guy. Uh, It's part of the triad. That's the guy that was screwing him over the whole time. (laughs) And his younger brother, who he didn't want to screw over, gets screwed over by him doing the right. And so the whole movie's about, what if you do the right thing and the people in your life suffer anyways? Would that be enough pressure to force you back into doing the wrong thing?
1: Yeah, and, and there are there are one of the themes that is very common in in, in all these films is that of loyalty, uh, loyalty, brotherhood. Um, that that I think is the basis of all these films. Is a theme that, yes. that Wu goes back to, and uh, that betrayal from this. Uh, his name is Ching. This is the, the the lackey that that ends up at the top of the triad. Um, there's betrayal there. And then there's that that loyalty that um, the the main guy, Ho, uh, maintains towards Mark, who's a Shoujin-Fat character. And those themes are are one of the things that I've really... And this goes to what you were saying, but one of the themes or one of the things that I noticed that Wu is really skilled at is in building those strong brotherly relationships. In all these films which all of them include that, that maybe with the exception of the the, the last one, all these films have that. And, and it's a strong relationship, anchored in, in great performances, because Shao Yung-Fat is great. And uh, maybe I'm going to get in one of my minor gripes with this one. But uh, T Long, the guy that plays the, the main character, I thought he wasn't that good. I thought he was uh, a bit bland and a bit overshadowed. By Shaw Fat, Shaw yun Fat steals the show, steals scene he's in. Yes, he does. Um, so yep. I, I I think that hindered the film a bit. Uh, the fact that the main character wasn't that that good or was a bit on the bland side. But uh, regardless, you get that brotherly relationship with Shaw Fat and with his brother eventually as they um, join forces and uh, and and they decide to to uh, go against this bad guy. So I think that 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 theme of loyalty towards your brother your family uh, and that bond is something that he builds uh, very well
0: well i struggle with this one because i'm trying to tread lightly and i am going to going to for a lot of these movies because they're not easily accessible to a lot of western audiences anymore they are essentially out of print in many places like a better tomorrow as we record this is only legally available uh digitally through apple apple tv you can, you can buy it through Apple and, um, and it's a very good remastered version of it. Otherwise you're, you're going to have to get, uh, creative of how you find these movies or you're going to really? to get out of print. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you're going to have to get out of print DVDs that may or may not have, they may or be, maybe dubbed, maybe dubbed poorly. If you know, if English or another language is your first language, other than like, you know, Chinese. Yeah. Um, and, or one of the dialects of Chinese rather, or you're going to, you know, you're going to get a subtitled version and not all subtitled versions are made to be what they are. And some of those, uh, versions are not good video transfers. So it's, it's really a shame that you really, I mean, and some of them, if you want them legally and you want them remastered, you might have to import them from another country from somewhere in Europe. And you have to have a region free player to do that. So, I want to talk about these movies, but I know that a lot of our audience hasn't necessarily seen them. And I think they're worth watching. So I don't want to spoil them. But I also know that they're extremely hard to come by. So if you hear me treading lightly or more lightly than I usually do, audience, that's kind of why. Especially with this one, because there are so many intricacies to the relationships of everybody involved that, you know, because we talked about, you know, Ho, who is our main character, and Mark, who is Chow Yun Fat's character. And it's, it's, you know, Ho has to deal with the guilt he feels of, this guy took a bullet for me. Yeah. And then I ratted, essentially, but I did it to save people. But at the same time, the consequence of that was I wasn't here to look out for him. And now that he's injured, he doesn't have a value to the organization. And he's at the lowest point of his life. And there is a bit of bitterness there on Mark's part of like, why did I took a bullet for you and you sold me out? Like you, like you, 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 it's it's so it's like like what did I what did I sacrifice this for? Look at where I'm at now. Look at where I'm at. You weren't here. You weren't here to protect me. And there's jealousy between Mark in particular, uh, and his his um, his brother. I think is is his brother Sung. Is that right? His brother is Sung. Um, Uh, the 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 cop. The one who's the cop yeah 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 this is uh ho's brother ho and kit yeah ho's brother yeah ho and kit, kit that's, right, that's right yeah sung see kit so yeah because it's sung say ho versus sung say kit yeah so yeah so there's jealousy between mark and kit because he's like you know mark again chilean fat character the gangster character is like i'm more of a brother to you than he is like I took a bullet for you. Your brother disavowed you because once he found out you were gangster, he didn't want anything to do with you. And meanwhile, you know, it's like there's so much drama. And with this movie in particular, um, you get the sense that Wu is trying to make a movie with a story and characters, and the action set pieces are just part of how that story is told, as opposed to just stunts to put butts in seats. This, this does not feel like a movie where, and there is action in it, but it doesn't feel like a movie where he was trying to create fantastical action sequences as a driver to get people in the door. It feels as if the action sequences are in service to the story that's being told and the emotions of the characters and where the characters are. And I I think it's really effective. uh, Quite honestly, these are not his best action sequences, but this may be his best story yeah I uh, go ahead no no
1: yeah I, I think I, I agree if you if you compare it with some of the ones that are gonna come later where you can feel that the action is a driving force uh, where you can feel that, yes. that he, he thought and uh, I think I read this is I I know it is true from for some of his American films, but I think I read that it is true also for for some of the other ones that he thought I I like this action set piece, so I'm gonna write something around it just just to get to yep. that action set piece. I know that is true from, from Mission Impossible too, um, but I think I read yep. that it is true for 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 example Hard Boiled. I think he he, yes, he did a lot true. of a lot of yep. things around that, but the here, tea room scene. Yeah. 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 But here, I, I think you get that sense of what you say. I think you, you can get here that the story, uh, there's a stronger story that has action set pieces in it, whereas in the others, you have great action set pieces with some story <laughs> tying, tying the yeah. action set pieces together. Uh, so I, I get that sense of what you're talking.
0: Yeah, what amazed me with this one is I go into it completely cold. I don't know this movie by reputation. I don't know anything about it. I'm watching it completely as cold as cold could be. From the opening theme to the reflection of the counterfeiting the sunglasses and the lights and the money laundering equipment and and all of that sort of stuff. And the the opening like transaction where Chow Yun-Fat is like pretending to speak English because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's learned a couple of phrases. Yeah. He's learned a couple of phrases to fool the Americans who are there to get the fake money and all this sort of stuff. To me, the first 10 minutes of any movie is crucial. If it gets you in the first 10 minutes, the movie probably has. Yeah. If this movie got me in the first 10 minutes and then at a certain point I realized, Oh, wait a minute. I feel I have empathy and sympathy and, and I, emotional relationship with Ho, and I care about his relationship with Mark and I care about his relationship with Kit. I actually care. I'm invested in these characters, which kind of took me by surprise because sometimes when you, when you, when you're watching a movie like this, at least me, I, sometimes I find myself being kind of just passive and I'm just waiting until the next action spectacle. Whereas with this, this film, I was like, you know what? I'm actually not waiting for the action spectacle. I'm invested in these characters. And what makes this movie so interesting, I think why it worked for me so well is Wu completely skips over. Like when we meet Ho and Mark, right? Yeah. They're the coolest motherfuckers on yeah. the planet. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. That, that opening does a great They're in the they're a in a black suits. Yeah. yeah. The glasses. The, the sunglasses. Is, yeah. Is that when, they're in luxury vehicles and sports you cars. Lighting the cigarette with the with counterfeit dollar, right? That's a cover image. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's yeah.
0: it. Yeah. It's, it's like, like Tarantino sucked every ounce of coolness from these <laughs> yeah. characters and put it in Pulp Fiction. A hundred percent. Yeah. They're fit. They're out there. Look, like everything about them is, oh, oh, I see what you did. Like the suits. And they're just like, these are the coolest guys on earth. Yeah. They're badass. They're slick as shit. And we're there at the, that's the, at the tail end of their supremacy and their coolness. Yeah. The rest of this movie, after that first 10 minutes is all about their debasement. It's them at the bottom. It's it's Ho having to live in the garage where he works with other convicts yeah. to just have subsistence living in Hong Kong. It's Chow Yun Fat in literal rags, like you said, washing the the windows like a homeless person or a person experiencing homelessness of the of of the guy who was his lackey yeah. washing his car and being treated with utter disrespect and contempt. And and just be that well, you're watching these guys be beat down dogs and i think it's so interesting it's like we meet them and we never get to see them at the at the top of the mountain we see just the tail end of it yeah and the rest of it is them in hell which is a reoccurring thing again <laughs> for john woo it's like hey i'm gonna make the coolest guy who's ever lived and you're just gonna watch him go to hell and like- yeah uh, <laughs> and
1: some of these examples are literal hell
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. some of these
1: films end in fire around our characters yeah. yeah
0: oh that's my point yeah, yeah. i mean he's sty- he's visually he sends these characters to hell yeah. like you said yeah. where it's very clear that's what he's going for is they're burning in hell at yeah. the end yeah. of the movie Definitely. yeah and so I-, I found the approach to this to be way more compelling than i thought it was going to be and for the record there are zero doves that make an appearance in this film or birds of any kind so <laughs> What, what did you think about it, it, it you know did, it, did it, am I oh, am I praising it too much or you're like this is boring I didn't like it where are the explosions? no I, I'm we're gonna get to the rating uh, in a while but I, I
1: enjoyed it overall. Um, I thought there, yeah. there were flaws and my, my main gripe with it I already shared it. I thought that uh, our main character wasn't as interesting or at least as captivating as the two supporting yeah. or, or the two more supporting characters. Uh I think Shaq yeah. Fat, like I said, steals everything and he overshadows the other the other actor. I think that um the guy that plays Kit, uh Leslie Leslie Chong. Um yeah. I think his emotional uh I, I think I lean more towards his emotional baggage than i did to host yeah mm. um but mm. since they are the supporting characters they are more in the sidelines and the ones that that that's the lead i wasn't that invested in i, I thought he was bit and it was more the, the performance not necessarily the character or how he was written it's more more the performance mm. not that he was bad but he was a bit bland having I mean, on the bland side overshadowed by these other two uh actors um even even well, the bad guy he pl- even the bad guy, yeah, I thought the bad he... guy was really good. Wesley, which we, we're, we're going to see him again yeah. in uh, *Bullet in the head. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, the bad guy was great. And, and so we're left with this main character who's uh, a bit on the bland side, um, overshadowed by other characters that are more colorful, uh, even though I understand his, his, his predicament or his moral conflict or, or whatever. But that kept me a bit uh, at bay from the film.
0: I totally understand where you're coming from. I think the way that he's playing it, and maybe it's written this way, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't the actor's choice. But Ho is, everybody else is freaking out around him in one way or another, yeah. right? Like, like you said, the villain's way more colorful. He's just like this ruthless, vicious, yeah. like arrogant scumbag. So he gets a chew scenery. The brother goes from sort of being naive, young, innocent. It's a, it's a very actorly role because we get to see him basically in two different, phases of his life yeah. uh where he goes from young naive innocent my big brother is the greatest guy in the world yeah and he's literally <laughs> like they're like wrestling in the park you know and all this sort of stuff you know and they're like he's a kid almost and then it, and then flip around three years later and now he's kind of a grizzled cop and he's bitter at his brother and he gets to play the opposite yeah. emotional spectrum same thing goes with uh with chow Young fat's character where mark gets to be kind of a um Deeply loyal, but almost kind of carefree, cocky, um, you know, super cool yeah. hitman killer. But then we see the opposite end of the spectrum where he is has no confidence, where his confidence, personal confidence has been totally shot. He has no self-worth whatsoever. And Ho just has to kind of be the, the rock, and that's a fundamentally less interesting character when you're surrounded by people like Leslie Chung and Chow Yun Fat and Wesley who are very charming, yeah. right, and, and, get, and get more colorful characters. So you got three charming guys with very compelling characters with huge emotional swings versus the guy that's just kind of got to, like, try to be quiet and hold all together. So I, I totally hear what you're saying. Yep. I really enjoy it. I do not think it's a bad movie, but it's only my number four for the week. And I give it an eight point five out of ten. Where is it uh, ranked for you, and what's your score? Okay,
1: I can agree with you. Um, first of all, I tend to rank with with five stars. So what I'm doing here is I'm I'm stretching that scale to ten. Uh, so if, sure. for example, if I had a film at two point five out of five, it would get here a five out of ten. Uh, not the traditional yeah. school-based scale of six is like a D, six, D, seven is like a C. <laughs> <laughs> just just to 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 have it clear, I, I heard you. Um, <laughs> Uh, blasting others for the for the rankings, no, but but <laughs> this this wasn't as polished as other action films I've seen and, and or maybe even yep. other of, of the Wu films that we're gonna talk about. But I thought it was still a, a, a worthy film. Uh, I thought it was a great introduction to to Hong Kong cinema, something that I'm not that familiar with. Um, so with that said, I also have it at fourth place. Um, and I have uh I have it I had it at three out of five on my scale which would translate to a let's say a 6.5 out of
0: 6.5 brutal. <laughs> brutal 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 carl
1: um i guess it's gonna get it's gonna get worse
0: all right let's move on to a film that has a 98 percent on rotten tomatoes i'm talking about maybe his most popular hong kong film maybe the killer which is uh literally translated as a pair of blood splat spattering heroes <laughs> <laughs> what a translation one of the ten best films of the
1: year a high octane mixture of outlandishly stylized camp and outrageously sensational shootouts outrageously exhilarating guaranteed to tingle the most jaded moviegoers palette
0: A film concocted with
1: nitroglycerin, the combined energy of the Road Warrior, Robocop, and the Terminator. Killer is great cinema.
0: The Killer, a thriller comedy that will leave you breathless. The film was directed and written by John Woo, it was released July 6, 1989 on a budget of not available. It made $18.26 million in Hong Kong. A compassionate hitman attempts to right a wrong caused by the collateral damage of his violent life. Two guys on different sides of the law become like brothers and <laughs> join forces
1: to take down the triad boss that betrayed one of them.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, so we're already into the territory of tropes. So this is a reiteration of the last movie we saw. Um, there's some more tropes here, though. And yeah. Some of these yeah. tropes I love. Uh, Trope number one is one last hit. Yeah. There's always a hit person, a man or a female. It's like, I got one more job and I'm out. Yeah. Which is what made the original John Wick so refreshing because they're like, they already skipped that whole part and he accomplished it and he actually managed to get out. He's already out. So we don't have to tell that story. now we're way down the road. Um, There's always the, the, the trope. It's always connected. It's that it's one last hit, but the hit person hit man, woman gets burned by the bad guys and chased by the cops by typically an, uh, one obsessed cop, right? <laughs> yeah. There's one obsessed cop that's like on this person's trail and so they have to outrun the people they used to work for, maybe outrun the person they tried to kill if they're not in cahoots and try to outrun the cops. It's always the same thing. Um, In this, again, between Hitman Ajong and Inspector Lee, we get another duality of criminal versus cop, opposite sides of the law, but they have the same values and in this case, they've Kind of fall in love with the same woman, right? Uh, yeah, in a sense, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, but here, um,
1: here we see again. W- what we were—I mean—to get first into what you were talking about tropes, you know, here we ha- here we get yeah. a lot more parallelisms. I mean, fights against triads, uh, climatic standoff at the end, um, cop versus criminal—that brotherly bond—those are the themes that we're gonna see pretty much in all these films. Um, yeah, but here, here again, that brotherly relationship between uh, Chow fat and, and and Lee uh, is the backbone. Here, here, that relationship yes. is. So strong, and again, Wu does such a great job in building those kind of relationships. But since you mentioned the, the female character, I don't know why he's not as successful in building romantic relationships or, or female relationships. Because the female relationships that we see in all these films are really weak; they they don't work. They are weak. Um, yes. but it, it's weird because the relationship between the the, the "Quote unquote brothers," it's so strong and so well. I mean, even yes. even even their relationship between I Young and the, the, his friend, the mentor that that's tried to like protect him, is very strong. Yes, it's, it's a relationship yes. that feels um, organic, that feels realized, that feels uh, really strong down to the very end. But not with 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 Jenny, uh, who's was the girl. Um, and even I think this is the strongest female relationship from all the films that that we're going to
0: talk about. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to. This is the best one. Contrast this is the best yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Jenny I agree. is Jenny's like a lounge singer. Yeah, and she's a lounge singer at this club, and that is semi involved in the criminal underworld and blah 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 blah. And she's not a part of any of that. She just sings at this club. Yeah. And um you have a cop, and, and the thing is, like she does like j- almost like jazz lounge singing, like true lounge singer. And so she's very yeah, pretty that's and trope, sort of- the jazz singer. Yes, <laughs> he loves jazz music. Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> and so Chow yun Fat is our hitman. He is the killer, and he's Ajong, uh, and he is um kind of in love with her. He's smitten with her, right? He's yeah. smitten with the idea of her. But during his last job, when he's going to get burned and everything goes sideways, he actually goes to protect her from crossfire. Mm-hmm. But when he goes to fire, the flash from his muzzle blinds her. It, 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 it burns her corneas. Yeah. And he feels personally responsible for having blinded this woman that he is in love with. And so he comes back into the talk about, I mean, this is soap opera stuff again, yeah. right? She doesn't know that it was he his- come. Yeah. He comes back into her life because she didn't really know him. He's just a guy yeah. at the bar. She, he comes back into her life after she's been blinded and meets her quote unquote all over again. And essentially doesn't let her know that he's the guy, he's the killer yeah. that blinded her and it's, it's all his fault. And he begins to court her and take care of her and be nice to her. And they begin to fall in love. And at the same time, the cop gets hot on his trail Who's Inspector Lee? Also begins to develop uh, romantic feelings for her in, in a sense, and so he's there. He's like they're obsessed with each other. They're obsessed with this girl, and uh, Chao fed has been betrayed. He's been betrayed by his handler. His handler is was put in a position where he feels so guilty for betraying him. He spends the rest of the movie yeah. at- 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 atoning for it as like, like whipping himself, self-flagellating yeah, yeah. to the point where. And by the end of the movie, he's damn near crucified. <laughs> and just to prove his loyalty back to this guy. And this is really now, and I say that almost not semi-facetiously, because Wu is a devout Christian, which is exceptionally unusual, especially for his age, for someone in Hong Kong. So he's a, he's a religious minority okay. in his own culture. And he infuses a lot of his movies, especially starting here, with Christian ideas. Christian iconography. And one of the ways that he contrasts the hitman, and John Wick totally stole this, but the way he he contrasts the hitman with the inspector is that they are of different faiths. And so we, we see the inspector in a more traditional temple, and we see the hitman in a Catholic church. Yeah. And, um... There's the use of candles. I think we get some of our first doves here, yeah. which again ties into the Holy Spirit, which ties into Christian iconography. The final standoff is in a church. Yeah, the final standoff is in a church. At one point, the hitman. There's all there's flat out conversations about religious themes and religious ideas. The the on uh, Fats character is getting bullets taken out of his back in in the pews of a church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's very. Um, and, and as a devout Christian, he what he is doing is he's taking violence because this is, um, when you have a faith that is built around the idea of a savior who was crucified, that's a, a violent imperial act against who you believe to be the rightful king of the world. And so the violence of empire uh being turned on its head through the crucifixion and resurrection. And that's what the resurrection does. The idea of resurrection is that sort of God in Christ passively takes the violence of the world and death and overcomes violence and death, uh, through nonviolence and through, you know, uh, 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 love ultimately, you, uh, you can, enemy love. And you can extend that to, to, what Chou
1: Fat wants to do in the end, I mean, I mean, if if yes. I die, uh, I want you to do this um, uh, because I, I, this is not a, not a spoiler, but he he says, you know, I want you to donate my corneas uh, for Jenny so she can see, so she can yes. have her, her surgery. So essentially, he's saying I, I'm, I want to sacrifice myself so you can yes. see, or you can you can have sight again.
0: And you're 100% right. And here's the thing. We're talking about an extraordinarily violent filmmaker who makes extraordinarily violent films. (laughs) But Wu is on record as being a Christian pacifist. And he hates violence. He detests (laughs) it (laughs) personally. Yeah. And his idea is he wants to use violence to make an argument for peacemaking. And you actually can see that in his films because even to this one, every time, even in the end, when our heroes resort to violence... It never works. Yeah. Violence is never the answer. And almost all of these movies end. Even if the good guys quote unquote win and the bad guys quote unquote lose the, the good guys end up losing a part of their soul yeah. in the process of using violence. Yeah. It's always a down ending. Even if the good guys win, it's a very like low Low. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, ended a I mean, low place. Yeah, I, I think
1: this 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 was the one that that I found the ending to be the, the, the most tragic or the most um oh terrible uh, the, the one that, that hit me the hardest. Um, it, but but yeah, definitely to that point where you see, and I'm not gonna spoil anything um, because there's there's a, a, a really wicked twist in the ending. Um, <laughs> that, that if people haven't seen it, I, I had it spoiled before, but I don't wanna I don't wanna do that. But it's something that, to a point that I was making, um, th- does that sacrifice really work? Um, does, uh, right. It, it's, it's really,
0: really a really good good ending. Tragic, but good. I love it. Well, he's wrestling with that question of, even when we use violence for supposed noble ends and noble causes, it actually just leads to more destruction of the innocent. And he's going to get to that again it quite literally, I mean, as I mean, he's gonna send some characters to hell. Yeah. And he's gonna make a commentary about Vietnam and all kind of stuff. Um And yeah, it's just what I think it is, is this is gonna sound hi- hyperbolic, but I don't mean it to be like a great many of the classical artists who especially are working in Christian theological tradition that Wu, what he really is, is he's a philosopher and he's a theologian who's telling stories through an accessible medium while also challenging his audience at the, at the at the very least at that time in Hong Kong with telling them stories using violence, but using violence in a way that they're not used to to make a larger point as a religious minority in that culture. So to, to, to the idea that this man has crossed over into Hong Kong from a religious minority perspective, working in gunplay, which is something that was not prevalent, not popular. They weren't, there was not, they were not interested in it. Then crossing over to American audiences uh, and, and being able to make, you know, much larger budgeted films than the ones he's making here and indelibly put his stamp on action cinema. It, It is a incredible shame that all of his movies are not currently remastered in 4K and widely available to audiences around the world. That's what I that's what I'll say because like if you like Face Off, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what Face Off does is Face Off literalizes the poetry that is the killer. Yeah. The killer is poetry. And Face Off is just, what if we took all of these, like, all this subtext and all this iconography and all this (laughs) heartfelt pathos, and we just literalized it into American cartoon comic book land? (laughs) And, And here's the thing. You can like either one of those. I'm not shaming you if you like Face Off. I get it. What I'm saying is his best, more most delicate, intricate, intellectually interesting, emotionally moving work is in Hong Kong. Yeah, I agree. And this is one of them. And Chow Yun-Fat, if he was good in A Better Tomorrow, he is truly a leading man in this movie. He is phenomenal as this character. Yeah. Incredible. I I definitely like the way that, uh,
1: again, uh, I already talked about how he builds that relationship, but I I like how that relationship grows because you you believe it. Yes, Uh, You see how they start this cat and mouse play uh, between uh, Chow Yun-Fat and Lee. And you see that, but you see how, in that game, they earned each other's respect. And you see how that chemistry, and you see how that grows. Um, and it's done in such a way that you you feel it. You, you can feel it, but it's so cool. It's done in such cool uh, images and set pieces and, and, and yeah. moments in the film um that that it wins in both sides it wins in, in how you're invested in the characters but it wins also in how cool it looks and, and how great uh, the action set pieces and the moments for example that mo- one of my favorite moments the moment in the apartment where they're uh pointing each other at the guns and they keep it, yes. it's almost like a dance it, it's a dance i mean it, it's yes. so fluid so um it, it's it's great. I mean that that's one of my favorite scenes from the from
0: from this film. Um and- Well, uh, this movie's loaded with great standoffs. That's a great standoff yeah. because they're trying to pretend like everything's normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because she, she's blind. She knows both of them, but she doesn't know their real names. Doesn't know that one's a cop and one's a villain. Yeah, and doesn't know what's really going on between them. And so they got to pretend like, oh well, I just ran into this guy at the grocery store or flower <laughs> market, and that, that 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 you know, and we invited him up, and everything's great. And they got guns pointed at each other, and it's almost sitcommy, but it, it's. And what I realized is, I'm sitting there watching like the fifth Mexican standoff, gun standoff in this movie, and I'm going, I think John Woo is a master of tension in this era. And he's got the best gun standoffs since Sergio Leone and might be better than Sergio Leone. Like this, these may be the best standoffs I've ever seen in a movie because here's the thing with, with Wu, anything could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody can Mm -hmm. die at any point in this movie. And tragedy is just around the corner. So there's real stakes in every time somebody pulls a gun. And, and, that's another thing I, I, I really enjoyed about this movie was 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 I like the fact that, yeah we, the, the, he ups the action for sure. And yes, it's expertly crafted, but it still feels handcrafted. Yeah, and it's slightly rough around the edges still. And the thing about the modern sort of ultra clean, stylized, popular you know action popularized by like, The Matrix, is if you really think about it, that, that action only ever really made sense of The Matrix because it's not the real world. The premise of the film is it's not the real world and Neo is bending the laws of the computer program. The moment you have people behaving like Neo in the real world with just effortless blocking and dodging and throwing punches and kicks, all this sort of stuff, and defying physics and gravity, all this sort of stuff, it's never it's never worked for me as well. So I like the idea that this is a little bit rough because if you've, if you've ever been in a real fight, it ain't pretty, and if you've ever <laughs> seen a real fight, it's not pretty. And even if and even if you had two master hitmen shooting it out, it's it's not going to be pretty. It's not it's not going to be completely flawless execution. So I kind of like it. Uh, I also think that the that uh, two things: Luke Basson owes his entire career to John <laughs> yeah, and. <laughs> Fung in this movie, who's the handler character, yeah. uh, feels very much like Willem Dafoe's character in John Wick during certain parts, especially when he's getting the literal blood beat out of him, and he won't turn on Wick or he won't turn on Zhang. I um, was just like, oh, this yeah. is John, the first John Wick is a John Wu movie. <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> uh, percent. I, I
1: I I can see that, but even then, I think this uh, is more realized and better. Then Will and the Folk, to me feels a bit wasted in, in John Wick in the first one. Um,
0: oh, it's a de- it's definitely a better character. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. But yeah, the, yeah. I, I I totally see where you're coming from. But uh, I I don't know. I I really enjoy it. And there's something I agree with what you said. That this is definitely more polished than a Better Tomorrow. It feels better. It, it, you you can see that his skills yeah. are 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 better. Um, but the the. Even though it's real, and I agree with what you said, the, the action set pieces are, are so fluid, so dense, like so operatic, yeah. and there are so many things, in, and it's it's common in all the other films where you can see that what the characters are doing doesn't necessarily make sense. In a real yeah, stand-up. I, I mean the way you jump, yeah. the way you shoot your guns, because I, I've read yeah. that shooting two guns at the same time doesn't make any sense, that you're gonna uh, you're right. gonna have any accuracy. Uh, but it looks right. cool. That's the thing. It looks cool. It,
0: um, it looks especially cool in yun Fat. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, I think he's yeah. the best. I mean, it, all the actors that that uh, Jung Woo uses tries to do it, but but yun Fat is the best one that does it. Um, yes. But but all those choreographies and set pieces are so harmoniously constructed that it's it, it, i mean i was in
0: awe uh, i was i was watching this and i was definitely in awe. i was uh, this this is great carlo i'm on the same page because i'm sitting there right i'm watching this i hadn't seen this one before either no and i'm watching it and I, and I think to myself wow what an what an incredible climax to a film yeah and it was the house assault and i wasn't i wasn't even aware that we weren't even close to the actual climax, which is at the church. Yeah. I was, I was like, I was like, wow, what a what an incredible ending this is. And I didn't realize that, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is the middle set piece. The end is yet to come, and it is going to be insane and rip your guts out, rip your heart out. Uh, which it did. Yeah. So um I I knocked this one a couple of points. Only because uh, he has this fascination with freeze frame. And rather than having typical scene transitions, he freezes the frame and then just starts the next scene. So rather than like cross dissolving anywhere where you would see a dissolve or cross dissolve or cross cutting, he puts a freeze frame, especially in this movie. And you're like, "Ooh, those transitions are kind of (laughs) weird. But then I kind of upped it another point uh because of the ending i thought this yeah. ending was phenomenal i don't want to spoil it but i thought it was masterfully done Um uh, that being said it's only my number two for the week i give really? it a 9.25 9, 9.25 out of 10 okay okay
1: um i, I already appraise a, a, a lot of what i like about this film it, it is my number one i really love this one um it is my totally favorite makes sense and I have it on my scale at 4.5 out of 5, which would probably translate to a 9 or, or 9.5, however you want to you wanna convert it. This, yep. this is my number one. Um, one, okay. one thing that I want to mention, and uh, it, it goes to the tropes that we've been watching, but it was really interesting to me to watch certain elements that, that uh, John Woo or other directors use on other films. For example, simple things. For example, the use of boats which he uses again in the climax yes. of face off um here yes. it is in the middle or in the the first act uh he uses it so he likes that um but yes. I don't know I don't know if I, if I'm alone in this but I totally got um la confidential vibes from the uh, from the final standoff um I could totally see that it's to me it was like side by side the, the final stand up between the cops in, in LA confidential and and the final standoff here down to the point to, to how it ends. And I don't want to spoil it, but, uh, I thought it, this is really confidential. This is, this is the same. Um, but, but I'm going to leave it at that. So again, this is my first one. My, uh, I loved it. So if, if that's, if this is how it works, this is the one that goes to the vault or the best of the week or however you want to call it.
0: You're adding it to the guest list. That's correct. That's yeah. it. And I, I, yeah, well, let's move on to 1990s bullet in the head. Which currently has a 100% Rotten Tomatoes. And this is where Carla's going to piss off the internet. I've already seen the tweets. (laughs) Oh, my God. In a time of great expectation, courage is born in the hearts of three friends.
1: And hope awakens a dream of a future destined for greatness.
0: of truth a single act of defiance will change their lives forever and redemption will become a treasure forever lost bullet in the head was directed by john woo is written by john woo patrick lung Waze lee and simon yam it was released August 17th, 1990, on $3.5 million Hong Kong. It made $8.5 million in Hong Kong. As long as uh, here we go. As long as they can remember three childhood friends have always wanted to be gangsters, then they achieved it. Three friends that are like brothers on the fringes of the law
1: flee from Hong Kong to Vietnam and join forces with a hitman and eventually have to take down the one that
0: betrayed them. We get a lot of reoccurring players here. Um I didn't know what this movie was. Didn't know. And this, this is probably the one I knew the least about going into it. Honestly, uh, I think. And the same with me. D- damn. This movie is hard to come by. It's hard to find. I had to import it from Italy just to be able <laughs> to get a Blu-ray version of it. And I watched it two ways. I watched it without subtitles. And, and so it's just in Chinese. Uh, Because the subtitles would be in Italian. (laughs) Right? And there's no dub version of it. And a lot of the dubs of these are terrible. Gorlomi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, And then I watched it with uh, English subtitles. I think that the sign of a true great movie, we always talk about show, don't tell, blah, 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 is can you understand the movie if you don't understand the language and you don't even have subtitles? And the first time I watched it, and then when I eventually rewatched it with subtitles, I didn't miss anything. I, I, I thought it was an interesting experiment. I'm like, well, like this is the only version I got. I got to fire it up. And I'm going to have to fight it again and watch it again. I didn't miss a thing. I, I you know, some of the dialogue, but, you know, but as far as um, who the characters were, what their motivations were, what their emotions were, plot points, He's such a visual storyteller, and because it's such melodrama, and everything's played so big, yeah. and when by, and by big, I mean at a certain point, this movie becomes the Deer Hunter, and then it becomes Platoon, and <laughs> yeah. it's just a full on. He's blowing the shit out of the jungle, and at, at some point, it almost feels as if he's trying to make his own apocalypse. Now, it's as yeah. if he's trying to be Copal at certain points. The, 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 I, that was my question: Is this John Woo's apocalypse now? Because the heaviness, the intensity. It goes from Diner to Goodfellas to Deer Hunter to Rambo 2 to Apocalypse Now. Uh, maybe that won't work for everybody, but it, it, it's like it goes from being like these 40 year old guys who are pretending they're teenagers, <laughs> riding their bicycles, pretending they're driving sports cars, you know, uh, to freaking a uh, oh, harrowing Vietnam movie, <laughs> <laughs> to then a revenge movie. It's insane. This film is, and, and I, I mean that in a good way. You,
1: you were saying about watching it without subtitles. Um, I think it was Hitchcock that said that, that the sign of great movies that you can watch it uh, with the volume uh, turn off, uh, and, and you can even get what is what is happening. You can even uh, enjoy it. Uh, one of my one of my very great friends and a past guest at my at my show. Um, He's a huge fan of Wu and he told me, if you think a better tomorrow needed some mean streets and the deer hunter flavoring, this is a a bullet in the head. (laughs) I can appreciate the ambitious scope. Uh, I can appreciate what he was trying, trying to spread his wings a bit. Um, but I think it, I don't think he fully delivered, and I know I'm going to incur in the wrath of Wu fans because I said this is 100% <laughs> on rotten tomatoes. A lot of films, yes. a, a lot of uh, friends already chastised me when I said oh, I wasn't a fan of this on Twitter. They said, "How come?" No, no, no. Um, but I found there was like a, a tonal dissonance between the violence and the drama. I, I would have preferred that it leaned more into the drama. Uh, but it was mm. like, okay, uh, here we have a dramatic moment and then we're going to have a big shootout with blood spurting out, out of everything. Um, so
0: I, I... This is, even by Wu standards, this is an exceptionally violent film.
1: Yeah. But I think the last act, it, it starts well, but then it goes into this clumsy, hypercharged chase scene that uh, instead of being something more emotional, a, a, a conflict between two... Uh, childhood friends that are at odds with each other is just this uh, mindless brainless chase from one side to the other with bikes and cars and fire and whatnot i
0: understand what he's doing what he's doing is he's going back to the beginning of literally back to the places that they were at when yeah we met and, and he when they were he children. juxtaposes
1: the scenes with the yes. car and the and the bicycles the yeah. car and the bicycles yes. I, I get it but I
0: don't, I don't know that we needed him to intercut back to to make his point yeah. of being, being like, let me intercut back to. It's like, see, see, they were racing bikes now they're racing cars, yeah. and they were <laughs> brothers before, but now they're trying to kill each other. Blah blah blah. Um, I, I get what you're saying because because I think he does such a great job with the drama of these three characters and what where their ambitions, their shared ambitions take them, and then ultimately divide them and kind of ultimately sort of bring them back together at at odds with each other. And, 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 and really the whole, this, this movie in particular is all about a descent into hell. The the further these guys go into life of sin, the more, In that way it's almost like a Scorsese film that the further into hell we go with them until we're literally in like the ninth circle of hell and it's Dante's Inferno. And you just, it's just nothing but flames and burning alive and, you know, and just total ruination, total ruination of every the innocence of their childhood or whatever. I I get it. I think he does so well with that drama. And I think, I think the personal drama of these three characters is so dialed in and we believe these relationships. And then when you go and you juxtapose that to POW experiences in Vietnam, where they are uh, Chinese, not really expats, but they're on the lam this killing and then they go and they hide in Vietnam to run weapons to make money in Saigon. And then of course all hell breaks loose in Saigon Vietnam war. So it's worse there than it had. They stayed in Hong Kong and then everything goes to shit from there further and further and further until they are, um, in a, in a camp being tortured by the Viet Cong and being forced to do horrific things, um, to kill South Vietnamese soldiers and American soldiers against their will at gunpoint or you'll die or I'll kill your friend. Right? Yeah. Like I'm going to hold your friend, your brother at gunpoint and I'm going to put a rifle in your hand and you have to kill these American soldiers and these South Vietnamese, uh, army folks, or we're going to blow your friend's brains out in front of you. Either you blow this person's brains out or we blow your friend's brains out. It's, and it, and it doesn't pull any punches when it comes to blowing people's brains yeah. out. It's horrific, and 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 you see the emotional, mental toll where they essentially have almost like psychotic breaks because it's dry. They've already been in prison for so long, and they've been beaten, and they're hung up, and it's just it's awful. When you go from something that heavy and those big emotional stakes and commentary, really on violence and the Vietnam War and colonialism and all this sort of stuff that's in this movie, and then the movie just boils down to another standard john wu action movie even if those that act, those action set pieces at the end are really well done even that's a even though that's a good car chase it's a car chase <laughs> and we've just seen you blow up like wherever he filmed this the you know it be Cambodia or if you actually went to Vietnam I'm not sure we've just seen you blow up the, a hillside yeah we've seen you have like napalm explosions going off as vi- villages of hundreds of people are marching fleeing for their lives right you can't just go back to in this same movie (laughs) well we're just gonna fire guns at each other as fire fire and doves like it just doesn't i totally get what you're saying um Um, what 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 really saved it for me uh,
1: and and uh, are the strong performances. I mean Tony Long is is great. Incredible performance. And and yeah. Waisley again, who was a bad guy in a better tomorrow, he he here plays again. Uh one of the one of the friends. Um and, and I thought yeah. it was great too. I, I really loved their their friend the other guy is good too. Uh, Jackie Jackie Chung, I think his name he, he was yeah. he was really good yeah. too. Um, but at the end, here we have another instance where you have this strong brother relationship yeah. with unsuccessful romantic relationships because there's this this woman Sally that they try to to save is a, a I think he's a she's a singer as well that they try to save and oh that's that's brutal though that is yeah, brutal but but the the way that She's not that well established a character, I thought, and and even the relationship with Ben, uh, Ben is Tony Long's character with his wife, that uh, she he abandoned her to just to flee from from uh, from Hong Kong, and then he comes back, and that relationship which could have been maybe it's brief, but it could have been maybe stronger. It's not that strong. Um,
0: Well, I agree with you there because that's the inciting incident for the film, right? Is the hothead? There's three three friends, one of them's a hothead and uh that's frank and frank is the one he goes and secures a loan from a loan shark to pay for ben's wedding yeah and then on the way back from the loan shark with a big fat wad of money in his pocket a rival gang beats him up tries to take the money yeah and then he's all jacked up and they're all liquored up from the wedding and they're like all right like he got the money this this, this is the most insane part he got his money back yeah so they didn't, they didn't successfully rob him. They tried to rob him and they're like, okay, well, let's go shake those guys down. And Frank loses it and kills the guy. Yeah, And now they're wanted for murder in Hong Kong, which is not a place you want to be wanted for murder in. And so they're like, we have to flee, flee Hong Kong. And they, decide of all places. Well, I know someone <laughs> from the mainland who's running guns in, <laughs> Let's <go>. in uh, <laughs> a literal, in Vietnam. From, from the frying pan. To, uh, <laughs> to the, to the
1: right. Fire, yeah.
0: And that's, yeah. So I, hundred percent agree with you because if the inciting incident for Ben is I, I, there's this character, there's this woman, I love her. We got married and what should have been the happiest day of my life has descended into um, hell into a murder we should definitely know her more, especially because you're going to bring it back around. And when he eventually does see her again, I think that I don't want to spoil it, but that payoff there would have been, I think even more heartbreaking. And the biggest thing that doesn't work, work for me. And I eventually adapted to it. I want to, I want to see if this bothered you as well. We spend so much time building that, that triad, no pun intended, building that trio of these three childhood friends. And it's all about how they interact with each other and their different personalities and how they're similar and how they're dissimilar. And that's ultimately going to, going to lead to how they grow apart uh, and how they grow against each other. And then at a certain point, Simon Yam's character just comes in as Luke and, and he's like, well, he's just part of the gang now. And I, <laughs> and it's like I, nothing against Simon. I, I I really liked him. I liked the Luke character and boy, does he have, <laughs> does he end up suffering for their sins as well? But I, I, he felt inserted. It was like, wait, where are we, could you not have just made him the fourth friend? Could it not have been four friends at the beginning? Why do we need this guy to all of a sudden become another brother it just felt odd, you know. Am I off base, well, or do you see what I'm saying? You know the, the the weird thing is that I was gonna say right before he said it,
1: I want to mention Simon Yam because I really like his character, yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it it's again another instance. I I totally understand what you're saying, and and I think I agree, but it's j- it's yet another instance of how this relationship between okay, we we got this already well-established relationship between these three friends, and they, they insert this uh, fourth character towards uh, yes. the second act of the, of the film, and yet it works. For me, it worked. Uh, and it's weird, again, because you get the brother, this, uh, a brotherly relationship successfully built around three or four characters, and yet he can do the same with, with females. It, it's so weird. I, I, it's something that... that <laughs> <laughs> blows my mind um yeah. I, I, at one point where this character sally they were saving it and, and at one point I said, okay so wait a minute was she with with luke was she looks i didn't even get that it, it it was uh i don't know it was a, a bit
0: messy for me well i think i can't remember if it's ben or frank or paul one but one of our main three is kind of in love with her yeah yeah or has eyes for her or whatever, but then he finds out that he's she's sort of linked to, to Luke. Luke's yeah, character. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. But I didn't. Get so that, that that's going to that put clear. that. No, it wasn't, and that kind of puts them at odds against each other. But then they become brothers because what it just yeah. I it, again, I ended up li- I like his character, I, and he he ended up fitting in with the group, especially yeah. as the movie went on. But it just it felt like the second act is a really weird time to introduce. A fourth character who's a total stranger to these three guys who grew up together, for him to be another guy that seems like he grew up with—you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It just felt like that's a weird time introducing. I, I don't it know. Could have that. just been an older kid from the neighborhood that they knew and yeah. we were close yeah. with. Who? That's how they got the gig in Saigon because they knew him and he'd gone ahead. Of, you know, you I don't know. I'm nitpicking, but that was the biggest standout where I was like, eh. commercial alert, commercial alert. One time, one time. Are so many ways to have fun at fun town usa you can ride thunderfalls new england's longest and tallest log flow ride and don't forget to see Dragon and a casino ride two of our newest attractions family fun is waiting for you at fun town usa route one but fun fun fun
1: uh, maybe they, they they needed that character that extra character to be the one that um, Is sort of the one that leads uh, Ben to to Frank, Frank. yeah, to Frank in the end. Uh, But again, uh, it it doesn't it doesn't cancel
0: your point. Yeah, the movie, like, okay, it's called A Bullet in the Head. There's a very obvious that we won't spoil it for people who haven't seen (laughs) it. It has a very specific meaning. Yeah, but at the same time, what you realize is a bullet in the head, based on the events of this film, with no spoilers, could be a foolish mistake. It could be a means to survive. It could be government execution. It could be a cruel game of torture. It could be the ultimate betrayal. It could be an act of mercy. And it could be a gesture of empty justice or vengeance. Because yeah. there's not one bullet in the head. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. There are quite a few. <laughs> and I think beyond just a title and beyond what you your mind immediately goes to, when you really look at the movie you see that, oh, he's showing us every possible iteration of the intention and the result of a bullet in the head or a bullet to the head. And every single time it's horrible. It's just a different version of of horror. It's just a different version of, which ultimately I think the movie, yeah, we're still in the world of gangsters and criminals and mobsters, but ultimately, what he's telling is he's telling an anti war story, an anti Vietnam yeah. story. And what he's ultimately saying is, like, whatever ends you want to accomplish, again, we're <laughs> being repetitive, but whatever ends you want to accomplish, you're never going to accomplish peace at the end of a barrel. It doesn't happen. A vi- an instrument of violence can never lead to peace. It's just, it, you, you reap what you sow. And so if you sow violence, you reap violence. You don't ever reap peace. And I think that's his point. And I think that's part of the point of this movie. And I think it's masterful how masterful how Vietnam is the context and it's the backdrop, but the emotional core is these three guys. So he never, had, there's no point of which a character has to give a speech, like in a, they would in an American movie going, <laughs> And this is how my feelings correlate with the Vietnam War. Like that, that never happens. This isn't a casualties of war where Michael J. Fox eventually has to stand before a tribunal and disavow the Vietnam War. Like it doesn't ever have to go there.
1: And helps a Vietnamese the, woman in the end in,
0: the, in San Francisco. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. It never has to tell that story because the story it's telling with these three or four gentlemen is the story, in a sense, of violence and, and all war. And so it's very universal in that way. Um, and because of those reasons, it slightly edges out the killer. I give it a 9.5 out of 10. It's my number one. I'm putting it on the short list. So uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to the other end of the
1: spectrum. No! Yeah. I liked it. Um, it it's not... I mean it wasn't awful at all but there were just too many things that that uh, didn't really work for me it was uh, a bit messy the message modeled I
0: didn't can I ask you a question is is this one harder for you to forgive its flaws because it's so ambitious because it's a it's a bigger movie in scope yeah and he's attempting to do more, and and it, quite frankly, it's like up to this point, it's his best looking movie, it's his best directed movie. Does that make the flaw stand out for you even more? Because to make it harder to forgive, because it's not a small gangster movie, maybe. And I think we might get to that when we when we talk about one of the films, one of the coming films.
1: Um, but I I think it has something to do with with expectations. Um, but but uh, overall, I think that that again, it was like. Too much mashed together, and, and, and I didn't really feel it. Maybe I should give it another spin. I'm willing to give it another spin and see if it works better now that I'm uh, warmed up to what to, to what what is uh, <laughs> happening. Uh, but I told you, I warned everybody. This is the one that will would incur in the wrath of wolf fans. Uh, I have it at the bottom. This is my number five. Um, Damn, I had it at two point five out of five on my scale. Uh, which Damn. is which is pretty much at the middle. Um, it's like a five out of ten. And that's five point five. Let's let's put it five point five. So it's uh,
0: five point five. Yeah. Damn. Sorry, uh, Damn. Wo- the woovers.
1: <laughs> Fuck!
0: Fuck! 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 Bring it bring it. I I can't, I can I can bag it up. Well, let's move on to if if it isn't the killer, it is this movie. This is the wooiest woo that ever wooed in Hong Kong. 1992's Hard Boiled, which currently has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. On dark streets where violence consumes everything it touches and the innocent live in fear. Two men dedicated to justice, will follow different paths. As one searches for revenge and the other for redemption, fate will bring them together. Now, for those who hide behind the shadow of corruption, only one thing is certain. A day of reckoning is coming. Hard Boiled was directed by John Woo. It was written by Gordon Chan and Barry Wong. It was released April sixteenth, 1992, on a budget of $4.5 million that made $19.7 million in Hong Kong and $71,000 in the United States. A cop on the edge and an undercover who has gone too deep team up to find a ruthless arms dealer's cash. Two guys on different sides of the law
1: become like brothers <laughs> and join forces to take down the triad boss <laughs> <bus> that has
0: surrounded <laughs> them. Okay, a little bit of history here. I don't know if you know this, but Michelle Yeoh was originally supposed to be Chow uh, chayan Fa, fads ex ex-slash-girlfriend, on-again, off-again, girlfriend, basically. Um, and when she couldn't do the movie because she was contractually obligated for another film, they just cut the role to shreds and then just made it a nothing roll. So we got I, I to... You're it, complaining about a lack of female representation in these movies. The one movie where he was going to do it didn't work mm-hmm. out, and they couldn't get a suitable replacement. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, you can definitely. This also see it covers. Here. Yes, this also covers the, th- the thing that you noted, which was, uh, now we're in the point of his career where he's thinking set piece first and story second. Yeah. yeah. And if and the, he they had a location that he really liked, which was this tea house, but which is one of the opening action seat, set pieces of the movie, and or early ones rather. And he doesn't. Um, they they were going to demo the tea house; they're going to tear it down. It was an old historic building. They were making room for other stuff. And so they sh- they didn't just script it. They shot that whole teahouse house action sequence before they had a script for the film. <laughs> That's- and they were just like, we'll shoot it. We'll figure it out. Because he wanted Chow Yun-fat to come down the rail on his side, firing two pistols. So everything was built around, was like, around hey. that single... Correct. <laughs> then they were like, we'll figure out how to make the story work. And I'll be honest with you, it doesn't really... It's a great sequence, but I'm like, wait, what did that? It doesn't really fit in the overall narrative of the movie. It really doesn't. He, yeah. I, let me ask you this. As a movie looter, as a movie connoisseur, as a movie expert, is Chow Yun-Fat the only action hero to ever play the oboe? To ever play what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um
1: the oboe. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I I, th- I think, uh, I don't remember anybody. I mean, you can see everybody playing sax or, or but was it an oboe or was it a clarinet? I It's an oboe, isn't it? I, I don't, know. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Anybody that's listening can <laughs> correct us. Either way, the same yeah. kind of looking instrument, a long uh, a wind instrument.
0: Chow Yun-Fat is playing a jazz woodwind instrument yeah. while being a grizzled cop. Grizzled cop by day. Jazz Woodwind position by night. This is where you officially reach officially, 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 you reach firing two guns whilst jumping through the air era of John Woo. This is what kicks it all off. Yeah. The movie is called Hard Boiled. And if you don't understand what hard boiled is, it's fair enough. But hard boiled is almost kind of an insider movie term. It's not really a uh it's I guess it'd be kind of a subgenre, but it's almost like a sub subgenre. It's a, it, it's an offshoot of film noir, where you would have described t- typically like criminal and detective dialogue yeah. as being hard boiled. You know that it's, it's you know it's usually they're cop and cry movies, which obviously all these other ones are, but where those lean towards heroic bloodshed and more sort of Asian tropes or at least Chinese tropes. He's a he's essentially making a movie that is leaning into Western tropes. But through, an, through a Chinese or Hong Kong lens, more so than he ever has. He's making a hard boiled, yeah. kind of noir, uh, badass American detective movie think with a cop on the edge, you know, uh, and an undercover who's, you know, like literally the character's like, I've been undercover so long, I don't even know what side I'm on anymore. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. all the dialogue is very intentionally pulpy, cliche, yeah. Hollywood dialogue. Um, what? But with the full blown flavor of John Woo, blowing the shit <laughs> out of every set he builds, every action set piece is 22 minutes long. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. This, this, this movie It's crazy. This the end. Crazy. The last 30 minutes of this movie is the most insane bonkers. thing I've yeah. bonkers, bonkers. <laughs> the the glass that it gets shattered. The explosion and it's all practical yeah the squibs like they they have a hospital full of patients being gunned down by triad terrorists who've taken them hostage and at the end they just blow an entire hospital up Christopher Nolan wishes he could <laughs> directed something like that. um no yeah um this this
1: this was crazy um and one thing that you mentioned uh about how to how they were writing the the, the films um, something that that also helped me put everything in context is that I read that it was common in Hong Kong to write movies, to, to start shooting a film that wasn't finished, that the script wasn't finished, and they were making things up as, as, they, as, as they were filming. That, that was
0: uh, That's a Hollywood way now, Carlo. That's how we do it every day in Hollywood um, now. <laughs> that, that's always
1: because knowing nothing of, of John Woo, I mean, I wasn't, a, I wasn't familiar with his Hong Kong uh, filmography. I remember that yeah. when Mission Impossible 2 came out, uh, reports were coming out of how the film was was filmed and written, and how John Woo said, "I want I want to have Tom Cruise hanging on a on a mountain cliff. Um, how we're gonna get there? We do not care. We're just gonna shoot it, um, and then we're we're, <laughs> we're figuring it out." And I thought that was so uh, crazy, and the fact that the screenwriter of Mission Impossible 2 is the same screenwriter of Chinatown, uh, two polar yeah. opposite films. Um, it, yeah. it it never made sense to me to do something that way, but um, I I like I said I found out that that was sort of the way they do they did things in Hong Kong, so I thought okay, um, I'm, I'm gonna if that's how things were done, I'm gonna uh, accept it as it is, and just let let the film wash over me because again, like I said, it, it's 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 crazy, it, it's bonkers, balls to the wall crazy.
0: Can I make a practical argument in favor of how they did it in Hong Kong, which goes against everything I've ever said on this podcast about (laughs) how I hate modern that modern movies are written around CGI set pieces. Here's the difference. A couple of differences. If you're making a movie in Hong Kong, number one, you got to pay a shit ton of money to the government and you have to have government approval, especially in this era. You had to have government approval over everything that you did. Everything. Number two, And he, this is highlighted in all of his movies. And anytime he's ever talked about it, they'd have to pay off the real triad (laughs) who controlled the territories. They were filming these movies in less the truck. They they get in hot water with the real triad. So they have to pay off local triad members (laughs) to not be fucked with while they made movies about the triad. Okay. (laughs) And in particular, the action set pieces. So and also, these are all practical action set pieces, yeah. which means if you don't get it, you shoot it again, and if you don't get it, you have to set it up and you shoot it again. Goes- and, you, and when now we're in the ter- we're in the territory of squibs, and timed explosives, and you're blowing chunks out of walls, and and sugar glass, and whatever else they're doing, and practical stunt sequences, and this goes beyond Woo even to like Jackie Chan's earlier films, like the Super Cop and Police Story, and uh, even the stuff that Michelle Yeoh worked on. When there's so much physicality, you you need such a long lead time to be able to conceive of the stunts, conceive of the set pieces, then figure out if you can actually do them yeah, <laughs> and then do them and, and get the coverage you need so they look good on film. So it seems crazy not to have the script, but that is the most labor intensive part of the movie. Yeah. And if you know, you might as well get a lead on all of that and then you can figure out the story. And here, cause here's the other thing. If you get on set and you figure out that the triad's not going to let you film in that building you thought you could film at, and you got to go somewhere else if the government pulls your permit or whatever, or if you figure out oh, Michelle, yo can't actually flip off of that. We <laughs> thought she could, she can't because it actually turns out it's not stable and she almost died doing it or Jackie Chan almost died when he, uh, shattered his wrist on real glass and we thought it was sugar lesser. You're running all these uh unexpected, you know, acts of God on these these scenes, then you have to completely change the setting. And if you had a script, you'd have to completely potentially rewrite the entire movie. So if you can get the action stuff in the can, then you can figure out your drama. Yeah. And when you're doing a better tomorrow, he doesn't need to do as much of that because it's just guys shoot just firing guns. We're now at the point where <laughs> <laughs> this guy's blowing up hospitals yeah and nurseries with babies <laughs> while putting babies out the window, out the window and hang having people <laughs> climb down bed sheets with babies from the NICU but, this shit is crazy yeah, I mean, it, if you, you better figure that out first we'll figure out the story later <laughs> but it, it, it works here I, I think yeah, it works
1: yeah. um it, just another thing that I wanted to add because you, you mentioned um you were talking about something about that uh, 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 when you began. But one of the things that I read that Wu wanted to do with this film is to uh, turn the tables on what he was doing in his previous film because his previous films, he was. People complain that he's, you know, you're glamorizing triads and you're glamorizing gangs yeah. because that all the lead characters in all the previous films are former triad members or. Yeah. Active hitman tribe members, and in this one, <laughs> yeah, killer, uh, yeah, horrible killer. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, the killer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in in this one, it, the the two main characters are police. Uh, I mean, one is an undercover cop, but, but they're both yeah. policemen. And he wanted to make a film to do the same for for cops, glamorize cops, and what they did. So I thought that was
0: also. He also said he wanted to make the least stylized film he had ever made. <laughs> When he made this movie, he was like, I realized I, I was starting to be known for certain, like my style and maybe I'd gone too far in a few places well, and I wanted to really scale it back. And he said, and instead I made probably my most well, here's the violent thing. movie to date. Here's the Hilarious. thing. Well,
1: You have that tea house shootout at the end, which is crazy. It's a a crazy shootout where, where, I mean, the casualties are, I don't know, 30 people, 40 (laughs) people. I don't know, because they're shooting at everybody. Um, And it's crazy. Um, And and just one quick, because he, he has a talent for some visual... Um, uh, great visual shots and great visual uh, imageries. And there's one shot in that tea house that, that really stuck with me. It doesn't make any sense, but it looked cool. And it's towards the end when uh, Xiaoyuan Fat uh, corners the, the the bad guy, that he jumps from a table and the bad guy shoots like a flower bag or something and leaves yes. Xiaoyuan Fat yes. covered in, in, in a white flower but he's, he has streaks of blood I mean, he has streaks of yes. blood after he shoots a bad guy. But it looks yes. so cool. It, it doesn't make any sense. And this is a, a, no. a trope that uh, uh, John Woo shoots so many action scenes that doesn't make any sense. They don't make any sense. This wouldn't work in real life, but it looks cool. And, and that's all he cares. And, and but, but it works. I mean, visually and, and stylistically, and, and in terms of an action set piece, it works. But anyway, after that, he, he, he dials down the the plot as we meet alan uh tony long's character and uh, mm-hmm. you get you think he's going for a more moral uh, uh angle to his film as you know you have this undercover yeah. guy that as, as you said he doesn't know where he stands am i on the good side am i on the bad side um and
0: shung chi's dad by the way if you're wondering who tony long is like well who's this guy yeah he's Plays the Mandarin in uh, yeah. the Shang Chi, um, and he's great. He's 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 he he
1: owns this film. He's the best character. I mean, owns really, it. Yeah. Super
0: handsome, yeah. super
1: charismatic, super yeah. cool, yep. super handsome. Not not yep. not showy and fat cool, because you no, get, you get different. you get the emotion. He he's more emotionally charged and conflicted, and you
0: get that but he uh, loves swans he loves making his little yeah, uh, swans. origami
1: swans yeah. swan origami yeah
0: origami and flowers he loves flowers
1: yeah, yeah. um and, and and songs because he sends uh, he was the songs that he sent to the to the police captain to sort of yes, hint yes. What, what yeah <laughs> um yeah. but you think that they're going for this moral, subdued angle, but then as the film goes on, they, they start to get things get more crazy and crazy, and then by the end, it doesn't matter if he's on the bad side or the good side. Just, they're just shooting up everybody.
0: <laughs> um, yes.
1: And yeah. that, that's uh, if I'm gonna nitpick a bit, that's uh, <laughs> I I maybe would have appreciated if it took more to to that. Uh, emotional moral conflict on the character but towards the end they don't care um
0: they well at some point they start injecting direct comedy it starts real heavy yeah you know? i mean
1: you, the beat with the and baby. Then it just
0: ends up being intentionally comedic, yeah to the point where he's like freaking out he's like oh like you just said i don't even know if i i think i killed a cop oh my god i think i killed a cop i don't know Did i killed bad guy or a good guy and chile and fat's like you didn't kill a cop Get it out of your head. He's (laughs) like, I really. He's, he's like, I didn't, I didn't kill a cop. He's like, no, actually, you killed a cop. I just didn't want to tell you that. That's, (laughs) that's the thing. Uh, And it's played for comedy. I'm like, what the fuck? That's precisely the scene that that I
1: was talking about. Because at some point in this crazy shootout, this shootout where you see, it it, it feels like Night of the Living Dead on on drugs, where you you have swarms of of gang members entering this hospital, and they're shooting at everybody. I don't know how they make sure they're not shooting people, because they're just shooting. I mean, (laughs) at one point, the, they, they are shooting and Tony Long are in an, in an elevator, and the elevator doors open, and they just shoot without looking. It looks cool, but they just <laughs> yeah. shoot without looking. Uh, and and then oh, he, yeah. he shoots. They make a, like a big deal of him shooting this cop accidentally. And I'm like, of course you're shooting a cop if you're not you're not looking. <laughs> you're shooting just randomly at anybody. Um, so I just thought it it, it was. Um, uh, it was weird how they, you know, we have this character with this moral conflict, but then in the end, we're not going to doesn't care. doesn't matter. Just going to shoot everybody as a whole hospital yes, is, yeah. is exploding <laughs> on top of them. And But then you have the, the, that, that climatic scene where, where with, with Mad Dog the, the, the main henchman that they yeah. have this standoff with the hospital staff and the patients in the middle, um,
0: that didn't make any sense to me at all this guy we've seen this guy murder ruthlessly (laughs) women children everybody in between but at the very end he's like nah you don't need to kill the patients or whatever (laughs) and i'm like why does this guy have suddenly grow a moral what is the guy with those with the patch over his eye and the the evil villain mad dog with the patch why does he suddenly grow a conscience why i don't know (laughs) (laughs) made no sense um i'll be honest with you this movie is like a five six seven maybe out of ten story-wise to for me and is a nine or 9.5 <laughs> action for me yeah yeah I, I i agree it's it's i've i've seen a ton of action movies i have seen a ton of action movies And and I've certainly in the last 20 years, I've seen a ton of action movies. This is whatever he did here is the blueprint for the next 20 years, next 30 years of action movies. And it's the blueprint we're still in today. If you've ever seen anything cool in an action movie, it comes from hard boiled. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. This is insane. If you released a movie today with this much practical stunt work and effects, With an action sequence, like the last 30 minutes of this movie, people would shit their pants in a theater. (laughs) People have not. I mean, and I I like John Wick 4. I really liked it a lot. This blows most of John Wick 4 out of the water, just this last 30 minutes. And you're just going, how the hell? Again, with heavy-ass cameras, and how did they do? And in Hong Kong, how did they do this? it's amazing it's um uh, incredible, a, incredible. A So it's 4.5 number three <laughs> yeah with such a small budget with with the triads really trying to fuck with you it's insane it's my number three for the week 8.75 out of 10 <laughs> uh it's it's it skewed lower just because of the story is at a certain point it starts real heavy like like oh the moral like you said the moral conflict between these two kids, and he's just like ah whatever <laughs> <So we're> just <laughs>
1: <laughs> blow yeah, stuff yeah. Let's, let's blow let's yeah. blow shit up no but but yeah i i agree this this um again we have here this uh romantic relationship i just wanted to mention that again because you know you have again uh, uh a strong brotherly relationship yep. built and an unsuccessful at, at at one point i figure were they together are they boyfriend girlfriend or were they ex
0: or this they, is the you know? worst one of all it doesn't matter it doesn't matter, yeah. it
1: doesn't matter. Yeah. um no. The, the, the film just doesn't care about about that, um, but it's so crazy, uh, it it's chaos, but it's concerted chaos, so operatic, so fluid, flying, sliding down stairs, floors, whatever. Um, that that, that you, <laughs> you just you just have to love it. Um, and uh, again, a beautiful mess. Uh, I have hard boil at uh, three point five out of five. Um, so. I if I translate that, I'm going to put it at 7.5 at 10. That's my number two. I can't believe that.
0: Well, actually, I could believe it. And I'm in favor that that's you go. We got a one and a two because I thought where this was headed was our next film might be your number one or number two. And I am so grateful, Carlo, that it isn't. Of course, I'm <laughs> talking about the first film he made in America under Universal Studios, which is beloved by many. And- 1993's Hard Target, which currently has a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics are calling Hard Target 100% action. A rocket-powered roller coaster. A supercharged blast of fireworks. With breathtaking, amazing stunts. How's it feel? Legendary director John Woo is a movie magician and Jean-Claude Van Damme is the number one action hero in movies today. He's obviously not someone we should underestimate. Hard target rated
1: R. Now playing at theaters everywhere.
0: It, of course, was directed by John Woo. It was uh, written by uh, Chuck Ferrer. This is the triumphant return of Arnold Vosloo from The Mummy Returns. I've been meaning to bring something back. I can't do it every time, but I'll do it this time for those... Old school listeners, guard your ears, Carlo. It is the triumphant return of Lance Henriksen, last seen in Super Mario Brothers. It's the triumphant return of Wilford Brimley, last seen in The Thing. It is the triumphant return of Sven Old Thorson from Gladiator. It is the, tri- <laughs> the I I used to do this. It's the triumphant return. Of Willie C. Carpenter, last seen in Men in Black. And it is the triumphant return <laughs> of Jean-Claude Van Damme, last seen in Sudden Death. Or if you're on Patreon, Cyborg, where I did a, a video uh, watch-along for Binge Movies Presents for our two top tiers on Patreon.com slash Binge Movies with fan favorite Lindsay Washburn. This is a triumphant quote-unquote debut question mark of Yancey Butler, who's the bastard oh. daughter of Linda Hamilton and Yasmine Bleef. <laughs> um film was released August 20th 1993 in a budget of 19.5 million dollars it made 74.2 million mullets experiencing homelessness are hunt down in the big easy two guys on the wrong side of the law try to stop the greasy
1: haired drifter <laughs> that's stopping them from playing their game
0: <laughs> well yeah it's kind of an inversion right the hitmen are actually bad this time <laughs> around yeah and it's yeah yeah there you go there you go uh, a little bit of history of this movie. Uh, Sam Raimi was actually forced to be on set. Babysit John Woo. <laughs> to babysit John Woo to calm the nerves of Universal who had so little faith in his ability <laughs> to direct a film. Why bring this man over from Hong Kong and give him $13 million and a multi-picture contract to make a movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme, who you have elevated out of the, the wreckage that was Canon Films, try to make a legitimate movie star out of him and go... Now that we're here, I don't know that you can do this. Doesn't make any sense.
1: Um, they say that Sam Raimi said you pay me to watch John Woo film a movie. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm gonna
0: bring my brother to and I'm gonna now, give him a cameo. Well, that's what I was gonna say. You know, Sam was involved in the movie because Ted Raimi <laughs> appears at, at some point. Yeah. Um, you, the other thing I wonder is, I wonder if the relationship between Raimi and Vazlu began here. Because Vaslu would go on to play Dark Man oh, yeah. in the straight-to-VHS sequels of Dark Man, including "Die Dark Man Die," <laughs> which is one of the great all-time subtitles of a B movie. <laughs> Dark Dark Man Two, Die Dark Man Die. I've always loved that one. <laughs> I do have a conspiracy for you, Carlo. I want to know if you think I'm right about this. Should sure. whenever a hack screenwriter wants to write an action movie, they crib the deadliest game. <laughs> It's is one of the most every, adapted uh, short stories. Oh, <laughs> every half-ass action movie to this day, including the ones with a completely addled Bruce Willis that they were exploiting him and putting him in these horrible movies for years without telling the public he had a freaking medical condition. Uh, they're all about like, well, the deadliest game is man and you got to hunt men down and rich people want to hunt the poor. And there's so many stories of wealthy people paying top dollar to hunt and kill the poor. It has to be happening, right? Like I don't want to go full-blown conspiracy theorist on you, Carlo, but there's an island somewhere where the rich people are hunting down uh, the rest of us, right? Like they're they're letting us know that this this is a um, real thing. Has I, to.
1: Be. I know people, so I, I I wouldn't put it
0: past it. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> Well, I understand it's an obvious metaphor People for income inequality, so. right? Yeah, that the wealthy are killing us, and they're killing the planet, and uh, but I, I believe in my heart of hearts that somewhere the rich are killing for sport. That's all I'm going to say. The most effective scene in this movie is the Elijah Roper scene, and it's the scene where he actually manages to escape the game. Yeah. He turns the tables, he escapes the game, he kills the rich guy, and uh, he ends up in the neon-soaked streets of a very wet nighttime knowledge and everybody in society, even though he's profusely bleeding and begging for help, all the other denizens of the night are like, get a job bum.
1: No, I don't have any
0: money. Right. I suggest you do yourself a favor, get a job, (laughs) sir. And as he's bleeding out and then he just resigns himself to being killed. Yeah. That is the closest thing to a theme or a thesis statement (laughs) or a moral or a point that this movie has. I thought that was exceptionally it's this guy is begging for somebody to help him. And, and it's, you know, I don't, let me go full woke for you, bro. This guy manages to escape a system that is meant to kill him. And he, he escapes it. And all he needs is the minimal assistance and he is stigmatized by his class. So he has no other option, but to resign himself to death as real heavy, very thoughtful for a movie that has Lance Henriksen shooting arrows at people and Wilford Brimley doing the worst Creole accent I have ever heard in my entire life. Whoever thought the Quaker Oats guy ought to be Creel ought to be strung up themselves <laughs> and put into the man, the deadliest game. Wilford Brimley riding the horse, talking like a backwoods Cajun, is insane. It's insane that it was ever filmed, it, it, and let alone in a John Woo movie. Can you imagine John Woo is making his first American film? They cast goddamn Wilford Brimley. <laughs> To be an action hero, as a Cajun, Ugh. I hadn't seen this film,
1: uh, and it's weird because I, I think that it might have to do. With, oh, I've seen it. Uh, <laughs> 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 it. It might have to do with the. With maybe at that point, at this point, I was already had too much Ben Dam I, had, I mean, I had seen Bloodsport, I had seen Kickboxer, I had seen Cyborg, I had seen uh, Double Impact, Lionheart, um, you name it. Uh, before this
0: so you you saw all of his b moves yeah so
1: so the 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 ones before this one i had probably seen most of them so when this came up i i I don't know why i didn't see it weirdly enough i saw surviving the game but i didn't see this one
0: Um, (laughs) so that's another one ice uh, tea yeah so
1: so i i don't know uh i don't know why um but we were talking earlier about uh the scope, ambitions versus expectations, and whatnot. And I don't know if, if I'm, I'm going to say it out loud, I had a lot of fun with this. I had a lot of fun with this film. Um, I have no no regrets about that. And I don't know if it's the fact that uh, it's, I, I'm walking, OK, this is a Jean Club, but not movie, so I'm not expecting a lot. And uh, yeah. I don't know if it's OK. So this, this turned out not to suck uh it, it was fun and i'm going to get into why i thought that's it was That's your take
0: fun. that's a that's a take you're going to go with is that it didn't suck
1: <laughs> No No, I, again it was <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun i, I had a lot <laughs> of fun. um but but i don't know if it has to do with that with, with that those expectations because i mean who who walks into a John Club and then film expecting oh, you know this is going to be deep and thoughtful and, and i i mean your your analysis is 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 more thought, more thoughtful than I'm pretty sure the writers and uh, put wow. into into uh, the, the the movie. Um, I mean, you have Bandamis uh, I mean, he, he is not not a Thespian, um, and and he plays this greasy hair, homeless veteran. And... Chance Boudreau. Chance Boudreau. What is the name? Chance. Uh, my mom took one. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. You, yeah. And <laughs> you good. know, he looks the part. He's brooding. He's uh, um, yeah. he looks tough. Uh, whenever you ask it looks him to- good in a duster
0: yeah <laughs> you know there's so many dusters in this movie of all the places on earth i would ever think a duster would be comfortable New Orleans. it wouldn't be in the most humid place on earth which is louisiana this the, there's so many characters in the deep south wearing leather dusters it's yeah can you imagine a stench that was coming off of it's all so he could make that move
1: to just like swipe the duster off so he could show, show his leg because you know,
0: yes, here, here's
1: my weapon. This leg. Why is does my Lance
0: weapon. Henriksen wear a duster though? Because that guy could barely walk. Oh, no, why why do so many of the villains have dusters? I'm, <laughs> I'm
1: gonna get, in, I'm gonna get in Lance <laughs> Henriksen in a while. But, but anyway, uh, don't ask Pandam to emote. Um, at this point in his no. career, he can't. Um, actually, I, I really like what he's doing in, in some of his more recent films. Um, yes, I, I, I like where he, where he's. Uh, What he's doing within his limited abilities, I like Westwood, but but anyway, I digress. But Jansi Butler is awful. She's horrible, awful, terrible, terrible.
0: Horrible.
1: We have these two leads that uh, they're not that good. We have Wilford Brimley, who has one of awful, (laughs) but it's fun. It's a terrible supporting performance, which you described already, but it makes you uh-huh, so, uh-huh. so.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't spill it. It kills the grass.
0: Kenan it's- Thompson being Pierre Escargot in a bathtub and all that had a more convincing <laughs> accent than this guy's occasion. <laughs> If he had gone, ho, ha, ho, ha, ha, mon ami, ha, ha. <laughs> I'm from the Lens. Uh, like, like, that's what he's it's doing. Terrible. It's like, what the? F- terrible. Oh, yeah. Terrible. Ha, 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 ha. I had a tragedy. My whiskey <laughs> don't spill. Oh. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> Lance
1: Henriksen and Arnold Boslow are so much fun to watch. They're, they're so good. So good in this movie. I I really really loved. It. I mean, l- just look at what Lance Henriksen is doing. I mean, the man's jacket caught on fire, and he just took it off as if it was nothing. I mean, that that, that guy was was crazy. I really 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 enjoyed. The, based on just lance <laughs> Henriksen and arnold boswell i i loved it uh it, i did you
0: love some of the dialogue such as and tell that bitch girlfriend of yours to point her titties north <laughs> and then step on the gas <laughs> they don't run them like they used to do they do they, do they carlo <laughs> uh, no no definitely
1: um it it's it's, it's not shit. a dialogue Is is shit but but again uh, i i <sighs> I can't deny that I had a lot of fun with it. I'm sorry, but it. It, it's it's not maybe something that I can explain or wave or whatever, but I, I had fun with it.
0: At one point in this film, Jean-Claude Van Damme roundhouse kicks a man going 70 miles an hour on a dirt bike, which would shatter his tibia and fibula into <laughs> one billion shards. Instead, Jean-Claude then surfs that dirt bike with a leaky gas tank into oncoming bad guy traffic while firing his pistol. He's surfing. He's standing on top of the motorcycle. Nobody's steering but Jesus. And he's heading down an (laughs) on-ramp into bad guy traffic. He leaps over the goon's truck, does a barrel roll off of the roof. After shooting the driver, lands on hard pavement. Somehow shoots under the truck or the van or whatever it was. Hits the gas tank of the dirt bike in front of it, blowing it and the truck up.
1: Clearly, you that haven't driven a motorcycle. That is the we of have. <laughs> top up- <laughs> traffic, right? While shooting the driver, clearly you yeah. haven't done it.
0: <laughs> Yancey Butler has so many scenes of slow mode, big eyed reactions. Yeah. The most famous one is, of course, the one where she has a slow-mo, big-eyed reaction to a snake, and this stuff is the stuff of legend, because Jean-Claude captures the snake, slaps it in its head as a guitar solo begins to shred. He then, after slapping it in the head, punches it in the face, and then bites off the rattler at the end. Then he repurposes the semi-concussed rattlesnake, now stripped of its rattle he repurposes it as a trap somehow that is tied to a vine so when a guy steps on a vine the snake comes out of a tree and bites the guy's fucking face off um oh you see what you did there yeah face off Oh yes, yes. <laughs> uh chance boudreau has a line which i loved he goes i can't do he's like I've got people after me <clears throat> Here we go. more, less emotion. I have people after me and uncle duvet, uh, AKA Wolf Brim, A.K.A. a quick goes, I know I can smell him. <laughs> <laughs> no movie, Carlo, this stupidly written, this badly acted, this over stylized, and this expertly directed can be all bad so while it is the worst of the week for me and I've trashed it and it is garbage it's I still give it a 7.5 out of 10 based on nothing more than the sheer number of slow-mo freeze frame and pigeons that end up in this movie and the fact that the bad guy dies at the end because the good guy puts a grenade in his pants. And he's fishing through his genitals to try to get the grenade out. He takes it off, and he manages to do yeah. it, and it kills him anyway. <laughs> it, Any movie that has the balls to put perpetually eighty-five-year-old Wilford Brimley on a horse—extra <laughs> point for me. It's it, it,
1: again. Um, there's no no way to maybe justify me having it at my um, third, at my third. Uh, but I, I had so much fun. I, I definitely had so much fun watching this movie. Um, one thing that I want to mention, um, just, just to sure. go with, 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 uh, some of the common themes and tropes and parallelisms, uh, did you get the, the, uh, parallelism with face-off the scene between Arnold Boslew and, and, um. Ben them with oh, their the wall, wall to wall yes. yeah such a yes. great that, that, that's a great scene and i saw it face of that and i i think i even liked it more here but but anyway um i have no regrets i i enjoyed this one a lot i have no regrets yeah, have no regrets <laughs> uh i have it in number three uh, do you think lance
0: Henriksen? you think lance henrickson had regrets because he's has this underground business where he gets wealthy people to pay him money to hunt the homeless I don't know why he has to why 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 can't wealthy people source their own homeless? I don't understand. <laughs> but anyway, but do you think he had regrets because he decides the only gun he should carry throughout the entire duration of this film is uh, is is a, uh, uh, a split action dueling pistol from the French Revolution? Why does this guy cool. is this, this wood grain? Well, yeah, it's, it's like Jean Claude Van Damme is literally under him under a bridge on a train he's like well he's more than five feet away from me so i can't kill him i can't shoot him. get a gun get, get get a different gun this guy will only use like laser-sided arrows and dueling pistols what the fuck like i just in a duster again it's louisiana in the summer take the duster off I did. go buy a pair of jorts lance henrickson you get the arrow pov shots <laughs> Oh, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> so, some of those arrow POV shots were cool. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, it's a POV shot. I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool. And it's ultimately in the service of bringing down uh, Yancey Butler's daddy. Yeah. And every time Jean-Claude Van Damme tries to say, I hope you'll find your daddy, it <laughs> made me very uncomfortable. He's, he says daddy. I know daddy is now euphemistic. and means something different to the kids than it meant back in 1993 or whatever. But Regardless of the current euphemism, Jean Claude Van Damme says "daddy" in the most perverted way I've ever heard.
1: You know that the the guy that played Denzel Welder's dad that is that's the writer of the film. That's Chuck Chuck farrer
0: Well, then he got what he deserved. <laughs> and I, and and if anything, it should have happened to him before he put the script out in the world. This this the only thing that saves this movie is John Woo because everything else about it is garbage. I think John. I actually, I think Lance Henriksen, who I'm usually in favor of, I think he's horrible in this. I don't oh, buy his character no, at all. He's, oh, he's doing the same old. I'm nah. the charismatic sociopath. <laughs> I'm going to play classical music on my piano and crush your finger. I've seen this a thousand <laughs> times. His entire performance is, as Roger Ebert would say, an explosion of the cliche factory. I don't buy a single minute of Lance Henriksen. Arnold Vosloo can't decide whether or not he's South African, Australian, <laughs> English, or American. His accent is so fucking muddled in this movie. He would later go on, of course, to play an Egyptian in face, and we never had a problem with it. But, and then he'd also go on to play uh, Liam Neeson, and we never had a problem with that either. <laughs> so, I don't know. It, it, his accent's the least problematic thing Arnold Vosley's ever done on film. But still, this movie stinks, but John Woo is great, and it's so stupid. It is stupidity at its best, 7.5. Out of ten, it's the worst of the week, though. And if you're saying a bullet in the head is worse than this, you're taking crazy pills, Garland. I deserve a bullet in the head, um, <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Yeah, metaphorically. Yeah, please don't come
1: for me. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I, I have it at number three. I I, I don't
0: care. Seven point two. All right, it's time for a recap. Coming in dead last for me is the A Name hard target, which uh, I give a seven point five out of ten. I think all of these movies are enjoyable in their own regard. I think four of them you should make, go out of your way to see, and this isn't one of them. Number four is A Better Tomorrow, which is probably the strongest story and best drama of all of these. Uh, I give an 8.5 out of 10. Hard Boiled, which is everything you've heard it was and more, I give an 8.75 out of 10. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Probably the least engaging story, but definitely the best action. Uh, number two, my Honestly, my personal favorite for the week uh, with a 9.25 out of 10 is The Killer. And uh, coming number one added to the shortlist is Bullet in the Head, which you give a 9.5 out of 10.
1: At number five, I have the muddled mess of Bullet in the bullet in Head with 5.5. At number four, I have um, the unpolished beginnings of Hong Kong cinema, and John Woo, in a Better Tomorrow with 6.5. And number three, I have the crazy fun hard target with 7.2 number two i have the crazy bonkers action of hard boil at 7.5 and at number one uh pretty far from the rest as far as i'm concerned uh the killer is just so good at 9.5 that that is a true masterpiece out of all these five and one of the best action films i've seen
0: yeah, uh, so this is where I usually say, what's your recommendation of the week? And it doesn't have to be your number one necessarily. Uh, for me, it's the killer. That is, if you watch one John Woo movie, especially of his original Hong Kong run, it's the killer. Uh, what do you think? Would you still stick with the killer or do you think that another one of these? Uh, no, going I'm going to
1: go? I'm gonna go off the beaten path a, a bit. And the first one that I'm going to throw is 2002, The host, uh, Hostage. And this is a weird weird short because this is... Uh, uh, BMW at one point in the in the 2000s, BMW commissioned a series of short films to uh, serve as glorified car ads. And they had the a weird thing is that they hired some established directors and actors. Uh, you get short films directed by Tony Scott. You get uh, Wonka Y. You get John Wu, uh, John Frankenheimer, and you get actors like Gary Oldman, James Brown, um, uh, Forrest Whitaker, um, Don Cheadle. And Clive Owen, Clive Owen is the central piece of these shorts There are like 10 or or, or 12 shorts. Um, He plays a driver, a mysterious driver that is hired for, for different jobs. And in the John Woo directed one, he's dealing with a hostage situation. And there's so much tension in this nine minute short, more tension than in most modern action films. And I really loved it. It's really great. The one that I'm gonna recommend and that I wanna go with, I saw, John Woo's 1979 Last Hurrah for Chivalry*. Um, have you seen this film? I have not. This is—you um, uh, can say this is a precursor of what John Woo would do uh, in, in the 80s with the films that we're talking about, about crime and uh, police. And but it's set in—it's a period film, um, in, in yeah. uh, a wuxia film with martial arts and 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 uh, swords and and whatnot. But the thing is that. It plays pretty much as an action film, just replace guns with swords, and that's what you get. Yeah, uh, and it's so good. I saw it. Uh, I finished it yesterday. I started the night before, but I had to stop, and I just finished it yesterday. And it's so good. It probably would be my number three, John Woo, uh, after The Killer and after Face Off.
0: On our next episode it is the Return. Forgotten Films, The 1980s, Part 5, which includes 1981's Excalibur, 1983's Blue Thunder, 1985's Certain Fury, 1985's Young Sherlock Holmes, and 1986's Thrashing. Carlo, I've taken you over the time that you said you would freely give me. I hope it wasn't a waste of your time. Uh,
1: well first of all it doesn't matter that, that we got over over the, the, the time limit. I know I'm I I was a hard target, so I I'm okay with, with the time. But now people can find uh I'm people can find the movie loot in every podcasting platform where uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere that, that you listen to podcasts, you can find the movie loot. And people can talk to me on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. Um, the podcast is at T M M L 2021, or they can just search the movie loot and me personally at Thief, Uh, that's where they can talk to me. They can, uh, blast me for, uh, putting bullet in the head at the bottom, or they can blast me for putting hard target above it. Um,
0: (laughs) bring it (laughs) careful what you wish for Carla. Well, I really appreciate it. This is a fun conversation. This is your first time on the show, and I thought it was very fun. I threw you a big old curveball and said, hey, can you come on and talk for several hours about something that you're not as familiar with, instead of all the many things you are familiar with, like classic Hollywood, and uh, you were up for the challenge. I always appreciate that. I appreciate your time watching the movies and your time having this conversation and As always, if you're listening to this and you're not already a supporter of the movie Loot and Carlo, check out his stuff and go ahead and give it a support. If you like what he's doing, give him a five-star review in all the places that matter. And if you haven't done it for us, we'd like you to do it for us as well. So uh, VHS Summer is going to roll on. We're going further into the VHS era, just as deep into the 80s as we possibly can. What movie? Well, I think is the best What will be added to the shortlist As we head towards uh, Basically the back end of another season You can only find out If you tune in very next week Next week here at Binge Movies Until next time, binge on